Howdy. I feel like I'm blocked. I'll fold this down a bit. Yeah, hey, how are you? Ah, shake off the nerves. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. Um, I'm Ben, for anyone who I haven't met. Um, married to Sophie, who just prayed. Thanks for that, honey. Um, team effort. And um, yeah, I got two awesome kids, Marley and Willa. And um, we live up at Bonnie Hills. We've been there a year and a half so far. Um, I think we've been coming to Salt about the same time, give or take some of COVID lockdowns. Um, but yeah, I feel like some of you guys I know really well, and some of you guys I haven't even met yet. So it's if I don't know you, come and say hi. Um, it's a real honour to be here and to give uh, the message. It's been really great. Good process too, just looking into God's Word and just digging into the layers and um, good for my soul. So uh, like Marty recapped on Dave's message last week, it was really, it was a good message on um, Christianity not being this sort of religion based on rules and ticking sort of moral boxes and being a good person, but it's actually based on us having faith uh, in Jesus and what he did on the cross. Um, he, he paid for all of our sin. He did it all. Uh, and he's, he's, we're covered in his goodness. And he's made us, um, he's given us the access to a relationship with God the Father, uh, which is pretty awesome. Uh, there's nothing we can do to earn this. Jesus has done it. But w- when, we, when we have faith in Christ, we begin this relationship of discipleship which is really based on a relationship with God and transformation. That as we receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit transforms us from within to become more like Christ. So there's this, um, actually, can I just press pause and grab my water? Is that all right? It's a bit weird. Can I take this with me? Do a quick run. (laughs) Thanks, guys. This clock stopped too. This is not counted as my sermon time. Um, thanks. Yeah, so the Christian journey is one of relationship and transformation. It's one of um, knowing Christ and becoming like him. It really is the journey. And Paul um, is speaking about this to the Philippians. And we pick it up in, in verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him. There's that becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So he starts off with saying, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. You know, my prayer for us tonight is like that we would just get that heart cry, I want to know Christ. If I'm honest, I want to want to know Christ more. (laughs) You know, like I I do want to know Jesus more. Um, And the word know here in Greek, it actually means to really know Christ. It's not just an intellectual knowledge about Jesus. It's to know him relationally. Um, if you were to take my daughter Willa and interview her about me and say, do you know, do you re- do you know your dad? She'd say, yes, she's seven. And she's a smart cookie. <laughs> but she'd say, yeah, I know, I know dad. I know my dad. And then if you, ask, if you were to ask her uh, my height, you know, my weight, my shoe size, what I do for work, all those sorts of things, she may not be able to answer all those questions, but she knows me. There's an intimacy. There's a, a journey walked with her. There's those hugs, there's communication, there's, there's all that relational stuff that goes on. And she does know me, probably better than most people. She knows me. And that's what Paul's talking about. I want to know Christ, really know him, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. 
See, Paul could have been here referring to the resurrection of his body, which we'll get to. And he mentions that previously. He talks about, I just want to be with Jesus. I just want to, I just want to rest, go to my rest and be with Christ. But I think here he's, he's, he's talking about this, the fact that the, the Holy Spirit who lives in us is, is in the process of transforming us, just like he transformed Jesus' body into a new body. What I mean by that is the Holy Spirit's work is transforming, and it's the same Spirit of Christ. It says in Romans 8, the Spirit of Christ who raised Christ from the dead lives in us. And he's talking about this transform, transformation to become more like the character of Christ. What does that look like? It's like if you look at the fruits of the Spirit, it's to be more loving, to be more joyful, to be peace-filled, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled. This is, this is to become more like Christ, bit by bit, day by day. And he goes on and says, even as we, as we participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now he mentions here that as Christians we may suffer, that there is persecution. You know, we live, in, we live in quite a safe area, but more and more our culture is opposing Christianity in many ways. It's becoming very unchristian. It's not very popular anymore. But in some countries, people are losing their lives. And Paul is saying um, that to participate in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death. But there's another way of becoming like him in his death, and that's laying down our lives, laying down our old our past, our old life. Jesus said it, if you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way and take up your cross. So there's a giving up, there's a laying down of our old life, of our sinful ways, of our sinful habits, and being made alive with Christ. Actually, Romans 6 is, is all about that, dying to sin and being made alive in Christ. So guys, Paul's saying he wants to become like Christ. But he, he goes on in verse 12 and says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or, or I have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So Paul's saying, I'm, I'm not there yet. I think there were actually people in this church that he was writing to that, that had thought they'd arrived. But he's saying, I'm not there yet. I, I haven't fully grasped Jesus. I haven't fully been made perfect. I'm a work in progress, day by day. We are all works in progress. There's a... Um, a magnet that my mom used to have on, on her fridge that said, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. And uh, you've probably seen it. It's like a bumper sticker, maybe. Um, but I'm thinking about this. It's easy to say, oh, well, I'm not perfect. You know, like it's, it's a little bit of a cop-out. If you were to say that to your spouse or your mum and dad or something, you know, when you're supposed to do something, it's like, oh, for God, I'm not, look, I'm not perfect. It's not like that. It's, it's not like Paul saying, I haven't obtained it, I haven't arrived yet. So I'm a work in progress, just whatever. He, he's actually saying, um, I'm not there yet, but I'm going to pursue it. He says, I'm going to press on. This word press on actually means pursue in Greek. Sounds like I know Greek. I don't know Greek. <laughs> I just know how to read a commentary. They tell me what it says, but it's, it's really good to know. Um, it says press on. That's the word in Greek, to, to, to pursue, to run after. So it should say, I think that magnet should say Christians are forgiven so we're going to pursue Jesus and, and pursue the perfection of him in us and allow him to change us. In Philippians 1 verse, 1 verse 6, actually earlier on in the letter, if you can see it as a letter, I guess there was no chapter breaks, but earlier on in the letter, Paul said, He who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. 
until the day of Christ Jesus. He started a good work in you, and he will bring it to completion. And what's that good work? Again, it's that relationship, that intimacy with him, and the transformation becoming more like him. He's chosen you, he's rescued you, he's redeemed you, he's transforming you. But we need to press on in this, in this journey. And this is where Paul actually starts to talk about it in, the, in, the, in terms of an Olympic marathon. We start to, to sort of read this section of the passage where it says, I press on to win the prize, to the goal, to straining ahead. And it's really interesting how he says that because so he, he's saying, okay, I want to know Christ. I want to be in relationship with him. I want to be changed into, into his image and become like him. But I'm not there yet, but I'm going to press on. I'm going to pursue it. In verse 13, it says, so I'm just chugging through it because I've got a lot to say. So I hope I'm not going too fast. <laughs> Tell me, slow down. Verse 13 says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I'm not there yet. I'm not perfect. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. I just want to break that down the next couple of minutes, just unpack that a bit. He says, starts with one thing. So this is Paul saying, this is what I do. One thing. He's focused. It's like an Olympic athlete. His focus is this race. It's one thing. It reminds me of Psalm 27. Like, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek. One thing I seek is to dwell in his house. He's got that singularity of focus. And he says, forgetting what's behind. Well, I'm not a... I wouldn't call myself a runner. Like, I'm not a, I don't run for fun. I don't know, maybe some of you guys run for fun. <laughs> Nell. Um, and that's cool. Each to their own. <laughs> now, I, I do run if the surf's good and I've got my surfboard and I'm running from the car down to the beach. Or if I've forgotten something inside and I run from my car into the house. But other than that, I don't run. But I do know if you are a runner, and most of us know this, you can't run while looking back. And Paul's saying, forget, forget what's behind Strain on toward what's ahead. And what happens is sometimes like in the Christian journey, we, we start to like look back at our old ways. We look back to, to old sin. We start look, looking back to old habits, old ways of thinking. And I know it's actually a really, like a, it's a pretty clear principle that where you face, you're going to go. And I was thinking about it today even, that if you did run looking back, I'm not going to actually do it, but if you, run, if you ran looking back, you'd sort of probably run in circles. It's like where you face is where you're going to head. And that's going to come up a bit later. But at the moment, just, he, he's just saying, don't look back. Forget what's behind. He's not saying erase your memory. Because some things that have happened in our past, we're working through, right? Might be failures, people failing us, us failing other people. It may be hurt or pain. Might be sin, stuff that we're trying to let go of. And some things could take years. So we can't just erase our memory, but it's, an, it's the idea of turning forward and actually to fixing our eyes on Christ, running the race without looking back, without going back. And the Holy Spirit will be with us. It's a promise. He'll be with us, guiding us, counseling us, convicting us, changing us. That's the Christian journey. And then he says, forgetting what's behind, straining towards what's ahead. And this, again, this Greek, Greek verb, because I'm fluent in Greek, <laughs> to, to exert oneself to the uttermost. It's that just exertion, strain ahead. Forget what's behind, strain ahead. And 
It's actually like sort of talking about it like you're, um, you know, if you're a marathon runner and you're, not, you're on that last lap and you're just giving everything. It's that picture of that marathon runner, the Olympic, you know, he's just like leaning forward, just got everything out there, just, just you know, lungs are burning, stitch, stinging eyes from your sweat, you know, legs are jelly, that sort of sense of straining on, straining ahead. This is the picture that Paul gives of the journey. Sometimes we need to strain, lean in. It will take effort. Not to be made right with God, not to be in a relationship with him, not to be saved, but to pursue him and and grow in a relationship with him and grow in our transformation to become like him. It will take effort. It's not like he says, oh, Ben, I've done it. Jesus did it all. It's cool. It's fine. I've I've paid the price for your sin. You're now in a relationship with me. Just kick back on the lounge, put your feet up like on Netflix, (laughs) just chill, use the Holy Spirit to make you more comfortable. No. He says, strain ahead. Push in, press in, persevere. That's the other thing he says when he says pressing on. So he says, straining on towards what is ahead, pressing on toward the goal. This idea of pressing on is perseverance. There's a a great um, passage in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. It says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I don't know about you guys, but I feel a bit weary. There's times I feel tired. This life can be, can be tiring. And all power to you if, you, if you're in a, in, in a season of, of energy and um, rest. That's awesome. But I know that some people here will feel weary. And it's so easy sometimes to lose heart. And Hebrews is saying, consider him. Consider Jesus so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. persevere, run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes. Again, it's this idea of fixing our eyes on Jesus, not not to the left, not to the right, not behind, but fixing our eyes on him. And he says, for the joy set out, set before him, he endured the cross. You know, this joy, this theme of joy is, is, is probably the major theme in Philippians. It's mentioned 19 times in this short letter, to have joy, to rejoice, to be glad. It's really the theme of this letter. And yet Paul is under house arrest in Rome. He's, 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 in, he's in prison in Caesar's household. He's in chains. And he's most likely chained to a Rome, Roman soldier 24-7. That's the way they did it back then. So he's allowed some freedoms, but he's, he's imprisoned in this household and he's, cha- he's in chains. And he's, in tr- he's on trial. So he doesn't know if um, he's going to have to go up in front of anybody and give his case, and then potentially lose his life. So it's a pretty precarious, hard place to be. Doubtful, chained. Um, and yet he's writing this letter to this church that he loves, and he's saying, just, he's, he just goes, he just rejoice, rejoice, find joy, joy. In, um, he says it in, in, the, in the next verses after this passage, in chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the, in the Lord. 
And this, I guess this word rejoice is a bit of a Christian-y word. I don't hear it said anywhere else, rejoice. Like, hey, I rejoiced today because you don't hear that. But, you, but what he means is just find joy in God. Find joy in him. Find your deep contentment and happiness in him. And that's what Paul knew. God was his ultimate source of joy. Despite his circumstances, it wasn't a happiness based on, on emotions, on circumstance, on situations. It wasn't an emotional flurry of happiness. It was a deep sense of contentment and peace and happiness in God, despite his circumstances. So when you're tired, or just my encouragement is to press on. Lean into your relationship with him. Paul encourages to persevere when you're weary or feel like you're losing heart. And it goes on, he says, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. Now this, I'm not that much of a stickler for different translations, but this um, call me heavenward in Christ, most of the other translations say the upward call of God in Christ. And I sort of like that better. The heavenward, call me heavenward reminds me of the sort of a gospel country and western like, call me heavenward, call, call me on the train to heaven. You know, I don't, I don't know, maybe that's just me, but... Because it, it's not theologically whole to think that. We aren't just called to go to heaven. There's much more to it. It's the upward call of God in Christ. All the other translations say that. And it's, it's like Paul is saying, this, like, you can be dragged down by this world. Things can happen that are really hard. Really hard. And this world can drag you down. But God has called us up. And it's not obviously not an up like a, a metaphysical up, like oh, climb a ladder or climb Everest, get as high as you can. It's, it's, a, it's calling, calling us up to him who is above all things. It just said, we just read about it. He's seated at the right hand of, uh, of the throne of God. It's a call to God. It's a call to, to a, like we said, relationship with him uh, and transformation by him. It's a call to his mission of rescuing people. It's a call to his kingdom to live in his culture, his heavenly culture, where he rules, where he reigns. It's a call to him. And Paul even calls us citizens of heaven in this, in this uh, passage. I keep pointing up there, but it's not there, sorry. He calls us citizens of heaven. So I'm going to skip ahead to verse 18. He says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. As citizens of heaven, we live in a different culture. We live, we live shaped by the culture of heaven. We think differently. We do things differently. We see things differently. Again, this is the process of the Spirit changing us and helping us to see things the way He sees things. And the upward call of God is to fix our eyes, to fix our mind, to fix our heart on Christ and on heavenly things. Because Paul juxtaposes it here with this. He says the enemies of the cross set their minds on things of earth. And then he just says, but we are citizens of heaven. In other words, we as citizens of heaven set our minds on things of heaven. Again, we're fixing our gaze on Jesus. We're running the race with perseverance and effort, but we're keeping focused and keeping our gaze on him and heavenly things. This is one of the most important elements, I believe, of running the race. Setting our minds on him. Setting our hearts on him. Setting our hearts, meaning setting our desires, our will, our thoughts. 
It's like the engine room of our lives. From, from the heart springs your life, springs your actions. Where we focus it, it's like where we face, where we face we're going to head. Where we look, we will go. Actually, a Father's Day story. I don't know if I've got time for this, but I'll just say it anyway. We got the, when I was young, my dad, he, uh, he was a landscaper and property maintenance guy. And um, I'd, always do the, I'd always mow the lawn, but I was always mowing the lawn. I don't know how you guys mow the lawn, but I always mow, I always mow like in a perimeter. And then I like work my way in. You know, that was my style. Of, you know, my, I thought I was, but dad always liked these really dead straight lines. Just, he liked it. He had a really good lawn. And um, he used to tell me, when I used to try and mow, mow, mow the lawn his way, I'd be sort of walking like this and, and I'd sort of follow the mower and I'd end up with all these sort of squiggly lines. And um, he was always like, no, 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 son, if you want to mow dead straight lines, just look at something up ahead and focus on that, on a bush or a rock or something. And just keep, and don't look at the mower, look at that and just walk towards it. And yeah, he was right. <laughs> I mowed like dead straight lines after that. I just, every time I'd turn around, I'd pick another bush, head towards it. That's the point. We're setting our minds, we're setting our gaze on Christ, on heavenly things. And how do we do this? We do it together. This is what we're doing now. We do it together at Bible study, at church, at worship, curry nights, getting together with each other, hanging out, talking about God, sharing stuff, wrestling through things. And we do it alone too when we have quiet time, just getting with God, praying, reading his word. Moving on. And from heaven. So he said, um, there's a great passage about this, this renewing of your mind, obviously in Romans 12 too. Um, I think I may have put it on there. Maybe not. Anyway, he says, um, he, he goes on verse 20 after talking about your citizens of heaven. He says, and from heaven, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. In other words, the same power, the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same Holy Spirit that lives in us, will transform our lowly bodies to a body like his glorious body. As we keep our eyes fixed on him and heavenly things, we also await for his return. It's a part of the Christian hope. And it's a radical hope because it says here on the day, the day that he returns, and it's, it's like um, the Philippians 1, um, 7, I think it was, when he says, he will complete the good work in you on the, until the day of Christ Jesus. That day is when he returns. And when he returns, he promises that all will rise with new bodies. I think Christianity is a little bit more radical than what we <laughs> give it credit for sometimes. It's like, this is a hope. It's, and, it's, and there's so much in the Bible. I've actually put a lot of Bible passages in there. Um, if you want to look into it, but it's a, it's a beautiful hope because I think quite often as Christians, we, we sort of, we think, or we assume, okay, not we, I'm just going to speak for myself. For much of my Christian life, I've just assumed myself to heaven and gone, well, when I die, I'm just going to just go to heaven. And it's, the New Testament writers didn't talk like this. They spoke about, yeah, our bodies, when we die, our spirit goes to be with Christ. And Jesus called it paradise when he was speaking to the, to the thief when they're hanging on the cross. And he's a heaven. It's a heavenly realm. And we will be with him. But it's not, that's not our eternal destiny. It's, it's amazing. Our eternal destiny is that actually that, that we will have resurrection bodies, that we will have heavenly bodies. 
that we will once again be physical and spiritual beings, not floating around in heaven as transcendent spirits forever. And he also promises that there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. It's an amazing thing. Um, 1 Corinthians 15 is just all about that. 1 Thessalonians, some of these, uh, the prophet Daniel talks about it. And, and this is, these are bodies that are sinless, that won't decay, that won't die. And that's a hope. Paul actually comforts, there's, there's, there's passages in the Bible where Paul comforts his church people that, are, that have lost loved ones, and he doesn't comfort them with they've gone to heaven. He comforts them that they will get a new body, that there will be a resurrection of the dead. We will have a body like Jesus' glorious body. Physical, Jesus said to his disciples, does a ghost have flesh and bone? He ate fish. He was healthy, sinless. We're not going to have to wrestle with sin. We're not going to have these injuries or ailments or diseases or cancer. You know, my mum passed away when I was 25 and I, I, I literally saw her breathe her last breath and I, I could see, like I, I had this, I thank God that she was a Christian and it was like this such an unnatural moment where I, I'm like, mum, mum has gone, her spirit has gone to be with Jesus. But there's such hope that she will have a resurrection body that I will actually be able to hug her again. And that's the hope. That's the radical hope. And this day is, I'm, I'm going to coin it, Transformation Complete Day. Because when you read about what Paul's talking about, he begins, we begin this process of change and transformation within us. And when the day of the Lord comes, when Jesus returns, transformation will be complete. We will have new bodies. And that's when we can rest in him. We will live on a new earth with him. So finally, it says, um, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. So he's saying, therefore, after just speaking about this hope, he's saying, stand firm. Another way of saying this is be steadfast. And he actually says this in um, chapter 1, verse 27. He says, stand firm in one spirit. So my encouragement for us is, yes, press on. Don't look back. Fix our gaze. Fix our mind on, on Jesus. In this, in this journey of relationship and transformation, let's press on. Let's pursue God. But also let's stand firm. So it's like, what are you telling us to run? Now you're telling us to like, stand still. But it's a bit of an oxymoron. But it's, it's this element of running, but stand firm in your belief. The actual, the actual word means to stand firm in your conviction and belief. And we do it together. We all have doubts. We all have temptations. We'll have moments where we feel we lose heart. We feel weary. Stand firm. This culture is becoming very, very anti-Christian in a lot of ways. Stand firm. You know, there's, there's, I've, I have had doubts and I've realized something really important. I don't have to just sit with my doubts. I can actually, I can actually speak to people about them. So oh, I really, I just have doubt, really a lot of doubt here or I really struggle to believe this. What do you think? And we can also pursue great teaching on this. To open the word of God and, and, and investigate and just and and deal with the doubt because this it's it's so the bible has so much great answers and there's so much great teaching on all these things so 
The encouragement is stand firm. It's interesting, Paul, Paul never ever writes to any of his other churches with such affection. My joy, my crown, my brother in love, whom I long for. He doesn't speak about anyone else like this. His church in Philippi, his first, he, he, this was his first church that he planted. And he's speaking to him in love and he's saying, stand firm. And that's what I believe God wants us to hear as well. Is run the race, press on with perseverance. Set our minds on him and, and, and have him as our source of joy. And then stand firm in our conviction and belief. Let me pray. Father God, help us to run this race well, Father. Thank you for your goodness and thank you for the, the amazing radical hope that you've given us, that Jesus, it was your death on the cross that paid for our sin, but it was your resurrection that pointed towards a new hope, the first fruits of a new creation. Father, help us to strain ahead to press on, not looking back, but setting our gaze forward to you, Jesus. Help us grow in our relationship with you. Help us to be open, to be transformed and changed, not our personalities, God, but our character, our thoughts, the way we treat people, the way we love people. Help us to be more like Jesus, willing to lay down our lives for others in humility. And may you, the God of hope, fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in you, so that we may all overflow with hope by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.